Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Yes, indeed, we welcome Josiah, and we pray that he will be the one restoring the Lord's altar in this nation. I'm very excited about that name. Very good choice in this generation. It's uh, it's impressive that uh, Josiah fulfilled a prophecy that was given three centuries earlier. Loving Father, we bless you once again this morning and we pray that your eternal and Holy Spirit will guide us, inspire, reveal the word and teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. What's the big deal about the gospel is the title today. What's the big deal about the gospel is the title for today. In the next August bulletin, there is a summarized version of this teaching. I understand the bulletin will be ready, God willing, early next week. We had a bit of a delay uh, in transmitting uh, the template. So if you read in that, we'll find a summarized version of what I'm teaching today. What's the big deal about the gospel? I could have well said what's the big deal about salvation. You know, sometimes I find I find them to be almost interchangeable, gospel and salvation. We preach salvation, we preach gospel, and then the gospel itself is called the gospel of salvation. Just sometimes, okay, that's me. It's not heresy. You can preach salvation, you can preach the gospel, but it's the gospel of salvation by which we are saved. There's no other way. Sometimes, in my spirit today, I say, What's a big deal about salvation? What's a big deal about the gospel? Um, so, what's a big deal about gospel? What's a big deal? What is a big deal? A big deal is something considered important by someone. That's what you call a big deal. But at the same time, the question I've asked here, someone else can use this very question to express his contempt for something regarded as important by someone else. What's a big deal about that? What's a big deal for me? What's a big deal about that? I don't really see the importance of it. What's a big deal about that? What's a big deal about Christ's resurrection even? So for one person, a big deal is something really important. For another person, it can be a way of contempt, despise, neglect, ridicule, something that is important to someone else. Hence the question. Well, the question can be asked from both perspectives, from uh, the believing perspective and the unbelieving perspective. In the introduction this morning, Brother Ola Red uh, gave us you know, the sermon. 
about God being the fountain of the living waters. You know. Why are people buying what is not bread? Why? Christ is the bread of life. And he who drinks from the water he gives, quoted for us from John 4, the discourse with the Samaritan woman, the water he gives, we never thirst again. Water represents life. In French, we had, uh, we had an ad on the telly, l'eau c'est la vie. Water is life. That's what Christ meant. Water is life. When he's calling people to come and drink freely, he's giving salvation freely to everybody. But then sadly, Jeremiah 2.13, see, they have hewn themselves systems, broken systems that cannot hold, can hold no water. Dead. Hopeless religion. Salvation by word. Uncertainty about uh, the after death. You find all these things in world religion. Those are the broken systems that can hold no water. False promises. Hopelessness. The teaching of salvation by work and allegiance to their religions. And then, uncertainty about the after death. Uncertainty. It's all speculation. You know, if you die, you come back again, you know, you come back, you know, uh, as, a, as a snake. And I remember that conversation somewhere. You know, you come back as a good snake or a bad snake. What is a good snake? What's a bad snake? If you've been beating your wife, you come back as a wife so that will be beaten. It's perpetuation of evil. There's no hope. But with the Bible, there will be a time where there will not be sin. God will make all things new, complete removal of the presence of sin. Complete removal of the presence of sin. Complete. Even death, the greatest enemy, will be overcome and thrown in hell with the Hades and the sin and everything and all the rebels and believing people. Demons, devil, antichrist, false prophet, all of them, Babylon the Great, all of them in hell forever. And then God will make all things new. There, there will be no sin. We will live the experience of where God lives himself. Where God is, there is no sin, all is light. Broken systems that can hold no water. And you know, and people are quite happy about religion. People are quite happy. You know, religion, 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 religion. religion. If you would believe in Jesus Christ, you begin to get very nervous with the word itself. We accept the word by default, but we know that we're very uncomfortable with that, the word religion. 
people are quite happy, makes them feel good. This is my religion. Religion won't save anybody. In fact, religion we send more people to hell than atheism, which is another religion actually. I believe there is no God, it's a belief. They have hewn themselves systems. Broken systems that can hold no water. It's all, in French we say, mirage. Vue de l'esprit. Rien. Illusion. Feel good. Feel good about this. Makes me feel good. System broken that cannot hold water. Short-term delusion, illusion, you name it. But Christ, not only he gives water, he is himself the fountain. La source, la fontaine. And the water he gives in you will become mighty rivers that will spring into eternity because of his spirit without measure. These are broken systems that can hold no water. False religion. It's very important that we understand that that's not part of my sermon. I just, I just, I just uh, it's plagiarism from Ola. This is my note I scribble, you know, when copying, you know, as, as, as students do at school, in universities. It's plagiarism. Add that with my hands. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. Not of work that no man should boast. Now, I do not want to be controversial here. It's just a reflection. In this particular verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. And then, it is a gift of God. What is a gift of God in this passage? Hmm. I've heard that some people prefer faith. They say faith is a gift of God. Maybe. I prefer salvation itself. In this passage, Salvation is the gift of God, given freely. How do you get saved? You have to respond. Grace is available to all, but you have to respond with faith in what God has done. That is called belief. Faith is belief. You have to respond to that. Now we got a problem. Salvation is available to everybody. Everyone can grab by receiving it. When it comes to faith, yes, Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. But we have free will. We have to respond to that. So when if people choose to go to hell, it is their own choice. 
God cannot be blamed for that. So we need to be very careful when we say faith is a gift to explain what we mean by that. Because I understand it's taken from this very passage here. But it's not sin if someone thinks like that. That's okay. Humans have responsibility to respond. I'm still reading my, my, my scribble here. Salvation is not a process. Salvation, should I say that again? Salvation, it's not a process. It's a fixed event. Josiah is either born or is not born. But praise God, he's born. Salvation is called new birth. You either born or you are not. It's not a process. Sanctification is a process. Salvation is not a process. It happened or it hasn't happened or it hasn't happened yet. But it's not a process. Either you are saved or you are not. Sorry. It's a fixed event that happened in time. And then you start the newness of life with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new Christian. Things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New. And then we can start living the newness of life and begin to learn. We've been sanctified, yes. At the level of salvation, there is one status of sanctification, which is being separate, being set apart for God as an initial experience that comes with salvation. That's true. But then salvation, sanctification, sorry, as a process is now the walking with God. Fleeing from sin. Repenting, asking for forgiveness, learning to serve, to, to live with God, and making certain that process of sanctification, and knowing Christ more, and growing in His feet. That's a process. But salvation, it's not a process. Tragedy. We get sometimes people sitting in the church for 25 years, 30 years, etc., and we make them comfortable because of our attitude and lack of understanding and discernment. And we make them feel good. It doesn't matter. I see that is happening. Now, what is happening? 35 years in a church. And we excuse it. Oh, it's beginning to happen. What is happening? Salvation? We are responsible for producing industrial quantity of false converts. And then, we end up with people claiming the other way in the sheepfold and claim to become pastors 
the life of Christ never been there. Because we are responsible for that. May have a children or children been in the church for a long time with their fathers, etc. They know how to lead the song, how to read Bible verse, etc. And they grow to become pastor when sometimes the life of Christ is not there. They just know to do things like Christians. Tragic. Tragic. And we are responsible for that. Well, I choose to be, remain wise, but not politically correct. Now, if you want to pull someone from fire, you, de- you do it seriously. You don't cuddle someone on the back. It doesn't matter. Your time will come. Yes, your time is come. But the day of salvation is today. Coming to the church because my father is coming. Coming to the church because my wife come. Coming to the church because my husband come to make him feel good. Coming to the church because I like music. Coming to the church because it's a brilliant challenge. Coming to the church because... This is where our family has been for three generations. Coming to the church because it's closed well. All those ways, nothing works. <clears throat> we have this uh, expression in Africa. We say, uh, however long uh, a piece of wood stays in a river, it will never become a crocodile. <laughs> Doing things like a Christian will not make anyone a Christian. One must come himself before God. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. And receive Christ. To those who receive him. To those who believe in his name. He has given to them. Exousia. Is the word in Greek. Exousia. To become children of God. John 1 verse 12. To those who have received him, to those who believe in him, he has given to them exousia. That is privilege, right, jurisdiction to become children of God. But there is a starting point. It doesn't come gradually. We either born again or we not. Let's be very, very careful. Having been in the church for a long time means nothing as far as salvation is concerned. We are either born again or we not. A baby is either born or is not. Let's read our main text. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 20. Mark 16, 15 to 20. Now I must say that this follows the mini-series we gave on biblical discipleship. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. 
and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord walking with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. He gave you a testimony the other day how we were praying for our father-in-law who was uh, dying in front of so many rich people and unbelieving. Here he is a very insignificant person with nothing but having Christ and the Holy Spirit. And coming to lay hands in front of all those rich people, they were looking like this, they don't understand. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We were still up in the airplane coming to London, they had called their sister here to say, Dad is eating now, he's feeling well. And they were happy. Any one of you can tell that testimony, You've done it, you've prayed for people, you've seen God healing people because you are in Christ. Those things are the things that accompany salvation. The Lord will not just save you and then leave you and deliver you to this world, to the enemy. No. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit. The living and eternal Spirit of God. To guide us in all truth and to help us and to perform all these things. Why do you think we pray for people who are sick? Why? By which power? One day I asked a Muslim person in Burundi, I say, you, okay, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit? You have a, I don't know the expression in English, but in French we call Mahabu. They like witch doctors, Muslim witch doctors. I don't know how we call them in English. And uh, I say, so when people go to see them, which power do they use? He couldn't explain me. Which power do they use? They don't have the Holy Spirit. It can only be witchcraft. But we live and we walk with the Holy Spirit. And we pray and we cast out demons. It's part of the things that accompany salvation. Oh, Christians today have become too academic in a bad way. They only receive and accept what they understand. You can't understand a demon. We don't even need to understand them. We need to cast them out. We know demon possessed. We are indwelled and filled by the Holy Spirit. There's no room for two people. The Apostle Paul, when explaining his calling, he said, the Lord called him that he might open people's eyes, that they might turn from the power of the devil unto God. People are bound under the grip of the enemy. 
So don't think they will just come to Christ like that without intercession and prayer. We have to intercede, we have to pray. Otherwise we're sitting there, my father-in-law, my sister-in-law is not saved, and we're mourning, but that's not going to change anything. In the background, we have to pray that God will pull them, that the devil will give up. Do you remember that story about uh, legends? Group of 200, I think, demons, that person in the Bible. When the Lord was casting out demons from that person, what was the reaction of the demon? What did they say? Anyone remembers? Legion. Yeah, yeah, legend, yeah. Yeah. What did they say? What do you want with us? Thank you very much. We're comfortable here. This is our home. Where do you want us to go? You know, we are here. We're doing our work here. In one person, 200 demons. How do I know there were 200? Because they went in 200 sides. In one person. Can you believe the damage they did in that person? The person will cut himself. Demons. Two hundred in one person. Jesus Christ commanded them to come out. He said, Do not matter when you see people blasphemers, haters of God, etc. etc. Some of them are demon possessed. And you don't go to do that work for fun. We go to pray and intercede and pray for those people. The devil won't give up so easily. Now, that is part of the gospel. It's part of uh, what the author of Hebrews called the things that accompany salvation. The disciple went around Preaching the gospel of salvation and healing the sick people. Casting out demons. Jesus Christ himself did that because people are bound by the enemy. Now, the passage we've just read here is known as the Great Commission. Before we can even start preaching the gospel itself, we need to make sure that people understand whom we are presenting to them. It's very important that we ourselves understand who Jesus Christ is before we can go to confuse others. I remember in one church here, um, in some churches there is this uh, good practice, in particular uh, African churches here, where people gather together in uh, New Year's Eve, and they pray together, and they cross the New Year's together praying, etc. Then they hug each other and bless each other, etc. So uh, we were there and praying, and then it was midnight, shouting, praising the Lord, etc., hugging each other. And there was a good sister who was absolutely excessive in her zeal. And she came to me and she hugged me and she said, May the blood of the Holy Spirit be with you. <laughs> That's what I mean that we're confusing other people. 
That's good, you are awake. <laughs> and another one was sitting in a corner like this and say, with an empty cup drinking, they ask you what you're doing, I'm drinking the blood of Jesus because I have stomach pain. Let's stop there. Jesus is the Messiah promised to Israel who came and will return to this world. Let me just remind you the topic. What's the big deal about the gospel? Understanding who Jesus Christ is is crucial. In the New Testament, people struggle with the identity of Christ. And that puts them off. Some of them could not believe what is this? He's blaspheming. How can he forgive sin? But we know him. He has a demon even. He's cast, casting out demon. He's called demons himself. People struggle with his identity. What evidence did they have then to identify Christ clearly, who Christ was? What evidence? The Old Testament prophecies had the job description yeah. and a clear set of criteria by which you would identify who the Messiah ought to be. Well, when Stephen and Peter uh, and Paul in the New Testament they were preaching the gospel, they were preaching the gospel, but they were referring to scriptures. Which scriptures? Old Testament prophecies. It was very important that people understand first what was written in the Old Testament before now pointing them to the fulfillment of it in Jesus Christ. It's very, very important that we maintain that connection in our preaching. I told you how we got into mess. I told you with scholasticism. People removing Christianity from its roots scriptures from its roots and coming up with their own fabrication, cunningly devised fables. And we are where we are now. And some people think you cannot understand the Bible unless you have a PhD. Timothy learned from his mother or grandmother was a child, so a child can learn and understand scriptures. David knew God from his very child. He loved God. You don't need a PhD for that. Well, I love academic things. I love studying like you, like everyone else. But it's not sine qua non condition to understand the word of God. The Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher. End of the story. Christ is also the king of all the kings of this world and the creator of the whole universe. Ever since Adam, the first man created sin against God, his creator, all men have been guilty of sin before God. Jesus Christ came to reconcile all men with God. Henceforth, in the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation is preached to all men. This gospel can be summarized as follows. As follows. Jesus, the Son of God, 
came into this world and lived a sinless life. He suffered and died for our sins. He was crucified on the cross where his precious blood flowed to pay the ransom for the sins of all men. He was buried. But on the third day, the same Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. All of these events happened exactly according to biblical prophecies that were foretold long, long before their fulfillment. Was Jesus Christ rise from the dead the third day or was it after three days? You know, sometimes at work you you pay people, yeah? You pay your creditors, etc. You pay them on uh, they call it box payment. Yeah? You pay them on Wednesday, and you tell them the money will reach. Some people say will hit, but that's bad English. Take it from me. The money will reach your bank account on the third day. But you pay on Wednesday for the money to get them on Friday, and you say after three days. There's no controversy. Controversy is when it comes to the same expression to the cross. Jesus Christ had to be the promised Messiah in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecies that will allow people to identify the Messiah when he comes. I found the expression, the passage, Brother Ola quoted this morning, the discourse between the Lord and the Samaritans. And even when John the Baptist sent his disciple to ask Jesus Christ, the question was, Are you the one coming? Capital O, capital C. Are you the one coming? They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting. Are you the one coming? What's the answer? To John the Baptist? Well, go ahead, tell, tell, tell him what you see. And the Lord quotes, when he replies, he summarized, when you see what he said, his reply, you can't find all of it in one passage in the Old Testament. You find them in different passages. And he summarized all of them. Whether Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 661, you know, Michael 5.2. You find all of them is summarized in what he said. Now go and tell John the Baptist what you've seen. So Jesus Christ fulfilled the qualification of the Messiah. Mm. Then what? Well, if he is the Messiah, then the Messiah has to be a divine figure. Because his days go back forth from everlasting. So the Messiah or to be a divine figure in order to be able to bring that eternal salvation. Very important that 
the identity of Jesus Christ is understood if we want to talk or to preach the gospel before we can confuse people. So Jesus is also called the, the one coming. The gospel is not a human fabrication or cunningly divide fable or clever tricks. No? Some people say, oh, the Bible, there was a group of scholars you know, who sat somewhere and they agreed to... If that was true, David wouldn't be a man after God's own heart. They would have removed that because it's embarrassing. What about the controversy about uh, the reign of Isaiah? It's there. Some say it was 22, some say it was 42. I think I've read quite a lot and received hundreds of answers about that. You know, if it was a, a clever human fabrication, they would have removed that because it's embarrassing. It's there. It's a difficult passage. It's controversial, but it's there. By the way, if you come across a controversial topic in the Bible, just because you don't understand it, don't change it into a contradiction. Controversy is different from contradiction. We just need to give up and say, I don't understand Lord. Peter himself said, those are, they are difficult things in what Paul is writing. Difficult to understand. Which corrupt mind will twist the meaning. Peter said they are difficult things. And Paul said if we disagree on something, God will shed light. But where we hide, we are now, let us work together. There is room for disagreement. We just need humility, that's all. Just because we don't understand something or everybody else does not agree with what we think, it becomes a contradiction. There's no contradiction in the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar. Those are simple things. Very simple things. If we want to play clever, we want to play scholar, we're putting ourselves in an embarrassing, difficult position. If we want to show that we know everything, then we put ourselves in a difficult position. I'm not ashamed to, to say I don't know. In fact, I used to tell people that I can answer any question from the Bible. Oh, huh? What? I say yes. I say because if I don't find the answer, then I will answer with Deuteronomy 29, 29. Things revealed are for me, things hidden are for God. So I don't know the answer. Easy. The gospel is based on four foundational truths. The Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled, death and resurrection of Christ, which is an historical fact, eyewitness account of the disciples, and then the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Four. The Lord has carefully, carefully prepared the gospel. There's no way out. That's why the Bible says how we know that um, the wrath of God will be if we neglect a so great salvation. God has prepared everything. He prepared a table before me and he gives you to eat, to accept, and to live. 
important that we understand Bible prophecy. Unfortunately, Bible prophecy has been transformed into a money-making exercise. When people speak of prophecy, they get nervous because of the current connotation and meaning people have given to prophecy. Today, prophecy means crystal balls. Today, prophecy means astrology, medium, table turning, zodiac signs. That's prophecy. Someone come and say, I have a prophecy for you today. This is what's happened. Yes, that's prophecy. <coughs> Broken systems that cannot hold water. And people quite like that. Young people quite like that. Because they are so concerned about their future. So if only someone can reveal to them what is waiting tomorrow, then they can live by it. Those people are making a lot of money with revealing to people. Why not trust God who knows everything? Why not trust God for tomorrow? What God has done, he has hidden tomorrow that no man shall discover what is coming next. Except when he has himself revealed to it. Yes, there is a, the gift of prophecy, the ministry of prophecy, etc. But I'm just talking about the modern understanding of it today. I'm just stopping to say something because... Uh, probably go on records and be wise. Old Testament prophecies foretold what the Messiah ought to be. Isaiah 29 verse 18, I'm reading for you, Isaiah 29 verse 18. In that day the deaf shall hear the word of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Isaiah 35, verse 3 to 6. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are full-hearted, fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert job description of the Messiah Isaiah 61 verse 1 the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. There was a time where the Lord healed someone, and the Pharisees complained because it was the Sabbath, and the Lord said, 
this descendant of Abraham who was held captive has come to deliver the captives from prison. Now, question. Did the people in the New Testament believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah? When John the Baptist asked if Jesus Christ was the coming one in Matthew 11, 11 verse 3, the Lord's reply was evidence of the Old Testament prophecy. You cannot disconnect the two. You cannot say we are under the new covenant, the new dispensation, those things belong to the Jewish people now. It's baseless. We are lost if we do that. People are quite happy to be lost, do you know that? People delight in being lost, you know. When the foundation is destroyed, what shall the righteous do? What's the foundation of the gospel? We are disconnected if we do that. If we despise, if we don't study Bible prophets in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, we are lost, disconnected. Just read the New Testament. They all refer to that as evidence to substantiate the claims about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. About the need for a Savior. They had to start from Adam and Eve fall. They had to give evidence from the things David said prophetically and then demonstrate that what David was saying did not refer to himself because he's dead. His tomb is dead. Therefore, he was referring to Christ. That's the importance of Old Testament prophecies. So the Lord replied to John the Baptist's disciples and gave him evidence of the Old Testament prophecies' fulfillments. Also, Andrew said to his brother Simon, We have found the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 41. Okay. One may say, Oh, yeah. You see, uh, in Islam, when they are stuck and speechless, they will always find something like, uh, Yeah, that was people's perception. We want what Jesus himself said. Okay. Did Jesus ever confirm that he was the Messiah? On this one, I think we should read. I won't read for you. Let's read. Let's, 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 let's turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And we're reading from verse 32 to 65. That Matthew 26 verse 62 to 65. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it this man testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. 64. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Christ means 
the anointed one is the Greek version of Messiah. Tell us, are you the Messiah, the Son of God? It is as you say. What evidence do you want? What else do you want? The Son of God? I told you that the Messiah is a divine figure. The Son of God. Sixty-four. Jesus said to him, It is as you say it. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the cloud of heaven. Verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He had spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of witness? What is blasphemy? Blasphemy only applies to God. Because Jesus Christ has said to him he is God, he said he is blasphemed. That's the identity of Jesus Christ. Well, if we're not convinced and convicted, English is good. Listen to those words. Convinced, convicted about the date of Jesus Christ. What's the point? One day we were at the bridge lane after the service and see how the kid always run all over the place and bumping into people, etc. And uh, someone stopped a young kid who was running and said, huh, do you love Jesus? He said, yes. Who is Jesus? He said, he's God. And he ran away. And all the others said, I wish I could say like that so easily and quick. Childlikeness, not childish. That's the faith God wants. That what he's been taught, he received, he knows that what it is. Who is Jesus Christ? He didn't say he's a great teacher, he's the greatest scholar, he was born under Herod. No, he's God and he ran away. All the adults were challenged by that. I wish I could speak like that. That would be enough. The lack of conviction led us to confusion. Confusing ourselves and others. It's foundational. Christ. Jesus said to him, It is. As you said. Let's read another passage together. Luke chapter 4, which some of you might recognize because we quote it already from Isaiah chapter 61. So that Luke chapter 4, and we're reading from verse 16 to 21. Luke chapter 4, 16 to 21. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed in him. Verse 21. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah. In John chapter 4, verse 25 to 26, that's the discourse with the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, 25 to 26. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What more do we need? What more do we need? In the New Testament, the disciple preached that there were no there was no salvation in other any other names but in the name of Jesus, Act 4.12. It was necessary to establish that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah. It's very important to establish that before his work for humans' redemption could have any meaning. Therefore, there is no other name by which man can be saved from the desperate condition of sin and guilt before God. Only the name of Jesus is qualified to do the work of salvation because of his perfect and finished work on the cross, his death and resurrection. In Acts 8 verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. Christ. No money. No beauty, no prosperity, Christ. Christ means the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy in Christ, in what is done, and the effect of that on the people, the will of God, the identity of Christ, preaching Christ's uniqueness. Christ is unique, sinless. I know the devil is coming, he has nothing in me. Who can say that? Sinless life? Well, it's good to say he was a great teacher. Yeah, that's fine. But sinless? Put him in a different category. Only God is sinless. 
In Acts 9 verse 20, Paul preached that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Philip preached Christ, Paul preached to demonstrate from Scripture that Christ is the Son of God. Which the Father also revealed to Peter, you remember? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, blood and flesh has not revealed that to you. Heaven. They know Christ. He was Christ, that's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Apollos. Apollos refuted the Jews publicly, showing from Scripture, that's the Old Testament, that Jesus was the Christ. You see, before he was taught the more accurate way by Priscilla and Aquila, he was just eloquence. He was a great talker, very eloquent, powerful speaker. But they said to him, the brother, brother, sorry, preach Christ, yeah? You know, Christ is this and that, and thank you very much for your apologetic credentials, but, you know, Christ, oh, really? <sighs> Begin to preach Christ. His, the ministry changed. Focus on Christ. Because he understood who Christ was. Wasn't wasting time in so-called apologetics. Empty disputes. Waste of time. So, we preach the risen Jesus and his divine identity before people can understand that he is the author of an eternal salvation. For him to be the author of an eternal salvation, it has to be divine. God is the, the divine eternal authority who was offended. The punishment for that must be eternal because God is eternal. Therefore, salvation must be eternal and those who are saved are saved eternally. Okay, sorry. One save, always save. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about scripture. Everyone is free to believe what they believe. But John said this. First John chapter five, verse thirteen. Let's read that together. You think about what you think about that. First John chapter five. And verse 13, whenever I've shared this with the Catholics, they are speechless because they have nothing to say, because they keep people in fear forever. So does Islam forever. So does some forms of religion in Christianity, some brands of Christianity. Keeping people into bondage in order to gain and guarantee their loyalty to their movement. Now see the openness and truthfulness of John. First John chapter 5 verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have weekly, monthly, daily, annual, sporadic, none, eternal life. And then what? And that you may continue 
to believe in the name of the Son of God. Receive eternal life and continue. The Bible said we are not of those who withdraw themselves. Now, Christ saves eternal life, trusting Him day by day and going with Him until we see He is faithful. Oh, Jesus enters the Father's house. Father, here I am with the ones you've given to me. I haven't lost any one of them. What about that? Written in his hands? Someone say we are in Christ, in God. Who will snatch us from there? If we've received Christ. If we've been forgiven. If we've been given eternal life. Now I know the controversy. Well, you've heard me before, I'm not advocating for people to go to sin. If you preach like that, people will misunderstand and will go to sin because it's one sin and everyone says, Well, I'm not in philosophy here. I'm not in preference. I'm just quoting what is here. Salvation is eternal. God is eternal. So is the punishment. If we believe the opposite, fair enough, then we have to accept as well that those who teach annihilation, what's that in English? Those who preach that have a point as well. Because they too say hell is not eternal. People will spend some time and then they will go out after they've purged there. Now, that feel good gospel. Now, salvation is eternal. Eternal loss is eternal because God is eternal. And He took an eternal sacrifice. Okay. So, what is the big deal about the gospel? For now, the church, which is the fullness of the redeemed people who believe in Jesus Christ, await the fulfillment of the promise of a global event known as the rapture. That's what we're waiting. Indeed, the Bible has predicted that the Lord Jesus Christ will take his church from this earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. After that, he will return and establish his reign for a thousand years in this world. That is known as the millennium of true peace and justice. He will then judge all people who would who will have willfully rejected him as God's only gift for redemption of mankind. There's no other way. Thus salvation is by grace of God and it is a gift from him offered to all men through faith in Jesus Christ. God desires all men to be saved. Good work without God's Good personal resolution and the desire to change one's lifestyle can certainly not save anyone. One needs to respond to the gospel of salvation by believing and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior in their hearts. A firm belief in what Christ has done for us is the only way to escape God's wrath to come and ultimately hell. 
which is eternal separation from God. All roads or religion may all lead to Rome. In French we say tout chemin mène à Rome. Yes, all roads or religion may well lead to Rome, as they say. But only one way leads to God. In fact, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. As politically incorrect as this truth might sound, nobody can objectively disprove that truth. The gospel of salvation. To be saved, one must repent from their sins and ask for the Lord's forgiveness. Then invite Jesus Christ to become one's personal Lord and Savior. If that happens, then one needs to be baptized in obedience to Christ's commandments and join the congregation of those who trust, love, and serve Him until He comes back. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, verse 9. There is no other name by which one might be saved but the name of Jesus. So, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Act 16, verse 30. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you, Lord, for the saving gospel, Lord, you've given to us. We were lost in our trespasses, Lord, and the light shone in darkness, and you believed us, Lord, from darkness unto your marvelous light. It made us, Lord, partakers of your people, we become your holy nation, a chosen generation of special people, royal priesthood. You are so precious, Lord. We pray that, Lord, this truth will be fully established in our heart, Lord, and that we will live by them. Help us, Lord, now to know, to be inspired, to be guided by you in sharing the same truth convincingly in the power of the Holy Spirit. We commit each one of us, Lord, unto your hands and bless us, Lord. Bless this place, this congregation, and we pray, Lord, for uh, a decision for you anyone Lord who has been here coming Lord for fun just accompanying parents or for other motives Lord we pray for the day of salvation is today before it's too late we give you praise and glory we pray that Lord you be with each one of us we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ Amen